Welcome to the South Carolina New Lexi podcast. I'm Vicki, and for once, I'm here alone. And just so you know, I'm re-recording this because when I went to edit, you could hear my cat purring in the background. I cannot keep her quiet, so if you hear her meow or purr, I deeply apologize. She is a cat. Anyway, the episode today, we're going to talk about um, education and the teacher rally at, at the State House on May 1st. We have, Wayne was out there that day and he got four or five interviews from people who were participating in the teacher rally and they talked to him a little bit about why they were there. Um, I am going to tell you that the sound quality is not going to be great for those. Uh, It was recorded outside during the rally and while I have edited it as best I can, um, they are not perfect. The fact of the matter is that people were cheering and yelling and and I can't I have not do not have the skill to edit that that kind of sound out now you're probably hearing my cat again because she's purring sitting right next to the the microphone so again I am sorry about that I I cannot change that at all she is a very loud purr um so now you know more about me than you wanted to Uh, I am a crazy cat lady granted I only have one cat the issue we're talking about today is education and things that uh, were going wrong in our education system. Now, I am telling you right now that as a, my, I'm going to give you a little bit of a personal narrative. My name is Vicki, and I am the child of not one, but two teachers. I grew up in Florence County, specifically District 2. I attended Hannah Pamplico High School and Hannah Pamplico Elementary and Hannah Pamplico Middle and before that Pamplico Elementary before they merged Hannah Elementary and Pamplico Elementary together. So I am from an area of the country where people are not affluent to use together. I I have read some statistics online uh, from the Census Bureau from 2010. I imagine they're still pretty accurate but the town of Pamplico is about 45% minority. Now, mostly black. We have a few Latinx people. The rest of the population is white. All of these people are of various class and um, standings and everything. However, a good portion of the town I grew up in, the population was approximately 25% of the population. Uh, makes less than the federal poverty line, Um, makes under the federal poverty line. That means that pretty poor. Put it in perspective, I live now currently in Columbia, South Carolina, and the area where I currently live, only about 7% of the people are living below the federal poverty line. So that's just to give you a little grounding in, in where it is. I went in the 80s and 90s. My school was a Title I school. I believe it still is. Um, That means that a certain number of the population is on free and reduced lunch, and we get a certain amount of federal funds from from the government because of that. Now, I don't, I'm not a teacher, even though I am the the, the, the progeny of two teachers. I don't know all the details and I can only tell you from personal experience what it was like growing up as a teacher kid in one of those places. My my mom and dad were both teachers and both loved it and they felt a calling to be in the profession 
and many of their friends and um, co-workers in Pamplico felt the same way. However, there were times when I had subpar teachers and I can remember one per, per support, one, two particular instances in high school. My Spanish one teacher was a Russian immigrant. I kid you not, this was in 1992. So y'all know what, what happened in 1992. So, and we had a Russian teaching Spanish and French at Hannah Pamplico High School because the French teacher had finally retired, okay? Um, he did not know the ways of the world in in Pamplico and I don't know how he was recruited to get there. I just know that the, it was a horrible year for everybody and concerned including him. And I had a geometry teacher who did not teach geometry as far as I could tell. He just mostly sat there and let us read the book and it just was not a good experience for me. But everyone else was great. They did the best they could in the circumstances that they were given. Now, when I was very young, my mother was a resource teacher. And what that means is she taught remedial reading to students who were behind. And that particular class was funded via federal money. And so from year to year, we did not know if my mother was going to be employed at the, the for the next year because it all depended on federal dollars. Now, how does, Vicki, how does this relate to everything else? I think it relates to how schools are funded in South Carolina, and there you have it. Uh, my parents were required to be recertified every four years. Um, by the time they, they finished teaching, both of them had well over 30 hours over their master's um, degrees. Both of them, my teachers were both of my parents were very educated teachers is what I'm saying. My my mother had a, a master's in elementary education and my father had a master's in um, math teaching. Uh, the fact of the matter is that getting your master's meant more money and I believe still does in, in most school districts. Uh, whereas for me in my current profession, getting my master's would not guarantee me a higher income. Uh, I work in IT and I do quite well for myself. Um, when I was six years old, I told my elementary school teacher when she asked me, my first grade teacher, when she asked me, Vicki, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I told her, I know what I don't want to be, but I don't know what I want to be. And I know I don't want to be teacher because I don't like homework now and I know I won't like it again. Oh, how the times have changed. However, my, um, my parents were when they would come home from school after working a full day, eight hours or so, they would be grading papers or writing lesson plans or doing any number of things that they did not have time to do during the school day. And they're contracted for that for a certain amount of days. Um, my father, for the first 10 years of my life, um, always got a summer job working usually with my uncle or um on a farm somewhere because you know teacher salaries right um they made okay money and again like i've said before i i had all of what i needed and some of what i wanted and i was very fortunate and certainly more fortunate than many of my peers in the area i appreciate that and i also had parents that worked with me at home and made sure i had supplementary education. If my mother didn't like how my teacher was teaching me to read, see also Miss Daly in the first grade, uh, she would give me another 
way to do it. Miss Daly used something called the word list method, which my mother, uh, Miss Daly was an older teacher and used some of the older fashioned ways. Uh, my mom taught me via phonics at home. And again, I am aware that I was more fortunate than most because I had, number one, educated parents who made a reasonable amount of money, certainly enough to feed and clothe my brother and I. The and parents who were educated enough to know what to do if they didn't like how the teacher was teaching me. Um, again, not all of my peers could say that. In my high school experience, only we only had three AP courses offered, and you were either college prep or general ed. Uh, that meant that, like, we had a technical education center in high school, where, like, if you wanted to learn how to do auto mechanics we had a great auto mechanics teacher. If you wanted to learn how to lay bricks and do masonry work, Mr. McKnight was fabulous as a, at that uh, and taught lots and lots of people how to do so. However, <laughs> my, 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 the, those of us who were like advanced learners, uh, I, I'm not saying I was smart, but uh, it's pretty smart. Um, I made good grades and read a lot and uh, enjoyed learning. And we, but we only had the opportunity to take uh, AP Calculus, um, AP English, and AP Physics. I took two out of the three. Uh, I was not interested in physics. Science is not my thing. Sorry, Chris McLaughlin, wherever you are out in this this world. Chris is our our NLP physics guru. Um, and one of these days I'm going to have him come on and talk about it because he can do it in such a way that it is understandable for lay people like us. Uh, <laughs> so anyway, we didn't have a band. We had a decent art program. We had an art teacher at least. Um, and he certainly did the best he could with the limited resources that we had. Music, again, we didn't really have that, uh, that kind of program in high school. Uh, I did have, we did have typing and computer science, which were great. Uh, I know that we have a pretty decent mu music program now because, uh, and music and drama program now because my mother is very good friends with the current music teacher. Um, so anyway, that getting back to sort of what it's like growing up in that area. So my earliest experience, I went to a school that was probably built in the 1920s. Now this was 60 years later. Um, and so the classrooms were old and drafty and the gym, I, I'm telling you, the gym was special. It, it had like the storage, the wooden bleachers built up real high. And anyway, uh, everything was just a little bit older and not at all new. Um, I compare this to facilities here in Richland County where I see the the like great million dollar schools that they're building currently around here like Blythewood High and some of the others. Um, and it's just hard to compare that to um, that. Now again, remember I graduated in 1996. So the first time I saw the internet in my, my school was in 1995. Now I don't know that... Uh, other schools didn't had any better than that, um, but it was one computer in our library, and we were not really allowed to use it. The next year, I went to Clemson, and the internet was everywhere. I learned how to build web pages, and I now work in IT, uh, so I loved computers. We had old textbooks, um, 
when I was in elementary school, uh, I learned to, um, we had this, was basically a revised version of, um, for South Carolina history that was a revised version of the basically racist hist history book that was written by, oh my goodness, why can't I think of her name right now? Ah, Mary Sims Oliphant. You know, people look at me like I'm crazy, but I was in third grade in 1986, and that's basically around the time they stopped using her books. Uh, I think they had taken out the more egregious raci raci racist things, but um, it was still what we were learning out of. She was not a... She was basically the, the textbooks, the original textbook that she she based her textbooks on was written pre-Civil War um, about slavery and she was the granddaughter of the original writer and anyway, she was pretty racist. If you want, her textbooks are online, if you want to look them up, you can see what I mean. So the, the textbooks weren't new, we didn't have a lot of technology, but what was worse is that the schools were old and in some places, there was one classroom where um, my mom tried to teach for a while and it literally made her sick because there was mold in the room. When I was 19 years old, I, I drove home from college. My mom ripped me out of the car and dragged me to her car and we proceeded to go to the voting booth where she told me I was voting for the property tax increase because that would mean that they would get a new school. And so now in Pamplico, they have a combined elementary and middle school on the high school campus, which is so all in, on a single campus. And the high school campus, it, there's still one old, older building, but that older building is not 80 years old. It is more like 40 years old. I think it was built in 40 or 50 years old. I think it was built in like the late 60s, early 70s. Um, so what I'm saying is that children in rural areas are um, still learning in older buildings that are not as well maintained as they, they could be uh, because it takes money to do that. They are dealing with fewer opportunities than um, students in larger districts. Like their elective choices are not as, as broad as students in in a larger larger more affluent district they are already poor and they may or may not have parents on lot at home who can help them with their homework uh, maybe mom and dad is working are working two jobs or maybe they're working second shift and they just don't have the same kind of um, structure that a child in a more affluent area does and that's simply because there are no jobs in Pamplico. If I had wanted to stay, I would have had to be a nurse so I could work somewhere in Florence or a teacher so I could teach school. In a, when I was in high school, we lost the major textile plant that was in the area. It moved to, I assume, China or somewhere overseas um, and closed. That's just the nature of living in rural South Carolina. There's just not much employment there. If you're not a farmer, a teacher or a nurse or in some way own your own business, you are not going to be employed uh, in that general area. Or you've got to be willing to commute a, a good long ways to um, like Florence or even Myrtle Beach or Columbia. 
Um, the reality of the situation is that there's not much industry there. And in some ways, I understand why our state tries so hard to bring places like BMW and uh, Honda, which is in Florence County. They, they make SUVs there, I think, to these more rural counties because we do need jobs. However, they won't allow us to unionize or they've demonized unions, so we can't fight for better wages and things like that. So the point is that everything that that's at the top and how we fund education affects the people who are at the bottom of the pile the most. I hope I am making sense to you guys, but this is me just sort of preaching a little bit about my personal experience. Um, my mom and dad, again, like I said, were school teachers. They paid for their own recertification classes. They, I believe that is still the case, is that like teachers have to be recertified every four years and have to oftentimes pay for their own education if I wanted to do some continuing education classes at my current job my my corporation would pay for it uh, especially if it was required I, I assume that most businesses are like that because they want to employ keep keep their good employees it's just difficult for 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 teachers to do so and educators don't get into the business because they want to make a lot of money so they know what they're doing when they get in into it but they, I do think they need to make enough money to support a family. My dad always said that he liked being a teacher because he was off when his kids were off. He was a very present father and my mom was very present. I, I think I've mentioned earlier in this podcast that my dad worked a second job um, until I was 10. After I was 10, it was my mother working the summer job. Um, she often taught summer school um, when I was a uh, middle school or a teenager my dad uh kept my brother and I at home after that um during the summers so I guess I'm gonna wrap it up now and say that what I really want you to get from this and what I hope I have communicated and again I don't know if I have is that we need to support teachers uh, they deserve uh, smaller class sizes. They deserve mental health professionals on the school grounds. We have cops now, and cops aren't mental health professionals. I think a social worker on the school grounds would be a much better use of funds simply because I know the stories my mother has told me about kids in her that, that have grown up in, in her classroom and everything and that worry her to death. I think that we need higher pay for teachers. You cannot live on $30,000 a year and support a family. It's just not possible. Um, you, just, you just can't do it these days and that's what the starting salary for teachers is now and that's ridiculous. They went to college just like I did and they deserve to start off making a living wage uh, with a little extras because they're professionals and they certainly are coming out of college with more debt than I came out of college with in 2000. Uh, house payment worth of debt. So how can they pay rent and student loans? That's probably why so many teachers leave the profession these days is just can't make it work financially or at least one of the reasons. Um, I believe that there should be less testing and that Testing is not a good way to judge teachers because, as I stated earlier, um, in school districts like the one I grew up in, 20% of the kids are living below the federal poverty line, and there are probably reasons for that, and they don't have the, the teachers at home to teach them when 
when they're struggling or need help. So that's that's pretty much it. I hope this has been less rambly than I think it is. Um, and I hope that, that you guys enjoyed me talking about my personal experience and my hometown. And if you want to hear more about that, just let me know and I'll be happy to talk about it. So let's talk about some announcements. What's coming up, our next um, episode, is going. we're going to talk about music and politics and the relationship between those. Um, we went to the, Wayne and I went to the Columbia Record Fair and we recorded some interviews and, um, talked to some people about what was going on with their organizations. I think you're going to really like it. We're going to have Chris Gardner and I talking about, um, music and activism. And maybe if I'm really lucky, I can get Omari to talk to me about the history of hip hop and activism. Uh, because I know that's a particular interest of his. Our next meeting is this coming Wednesday. Um, that would be May 15th, if, I, if my calendar is right. All right, so it's May 15th. So our next meeting is May 15th at 6 p.m. at 2015 Marion Street down in Columbia. And if you're around, we'd love to have you. So I hope that, that you will, will join us. If you want to learn more about some activism that we're working on currently, I encourage you to go to fairmapssc.com. Um, that will talk about the anti-gerrymandering activity that we're working on currently. And yeah, we look forward to seeing you and talking to you soon. Um, coming up, you're going to hear some of those interviews I was telling you about with teachers. Again, I apologize for the sound quality, but there's only so much I can do. Um, so I hope that you'll enjoy them and that you'll keep listening to us and we'll see you real soon. Happy May Day. This is Wayne Borders for the South Carolina New Legacy Podcast. I'm here at the State House where the SC for Ed campaign is holding a rally of educators and their supporters. A march is concluding from the State Department of Education here at the North Lawn of the State House. We'll be bringing you voices from the rally uh, throughout the program. Thank you. So this is so, so this is Wayne Borders for the South Carolina New Legacy Podcast. I'm with uh, Chrissy Arn and Gwenelle Brazel. And these and they are teachers uh, from the Richland One and Richland Two School District. It's, it's really loud because there are a lot of people. Uh, but I kind of first want to know, like, so what's the thing that got you all that got you out here today? Um, well, today's all about a day of reflection. About it's not just about the teacher pay, and so it's it's crucial that people know um, that it's not just about the teachers' pay. It's about the fact that we need smaller class sizes. Students are being underfunded, and they've been underfunded for the past ten years. Um, and so it's important to realize that teachers are not getting what they need to be able to successfully teach our students. And our students are being mistreated in the classroom to the point where we can't give them the attention, the supplies, and anything that they need to be successful. So that's what today is all about. Yeah. And and I take it that there are members of the support staff, the bus drivers, the janitors who could who would love to be here too, but they aren't. But how do those how do those support staff uh, looking at this day at your school? Well, I actually saw some Richland One support staff here, um, cafeteria workers and custodial staff here today, and um, 
really appreciate them coming out as they are also affected every day by students as they also interact with our students on a daily basis too. All right. Well, I appreciate you two giving me a moment of your time and really appreciate you being out. Thank you. Right. Thank you very right. much. So a sophomore from Blythewood High School is, Teachers, are you ready? is going to be uh, finishing a speech that he was unable to give at the Department of Education. Are you ready for some change? Are you ready to let your voice be heard? Are you tired of this crap that politicians are doing to our teachers? My name is Kyle Brantley. I'm a student at Blythewood High School. And I'm a South Carolina, I'm an SC for Ed student correspondent. I want you to take a minute and think about your own experience in school. And remember those teachers who impacted your life. The teacher who motivated you to be you. The educator who made you love learning. Teachers are an important component of training leaders of the next generation, am I right? Yes. However, we do not demonstrate our recognition of their value through our actions. For over a decade, teachers have had to do more with less. Less salary, less money for their classroom, and less time, am I right? Yes. Would it shock you to hear that a McKenzie and Friends study found that a 25-year veteran teacher is paid less than an airport skycapper? Given the impact of teachers on society, South Carolina's teachers are undervalued. Paying teachers more is both a fair thing to do and it's vital to improving our education system. Educators perform a challenging job and have the right to be compensated fairly. Now, I've been up of the South Carolina school system in Richmond School District 2 for eight years. And I've learned a lot from teachers in my past. Each teacher from my learning experience has taught me a valuable lesson during my tenure here in South Carolina. For instance, my fifth grade teacher, Mrs. Cynthia Williams, taught me the joy of reading. Mrs. Williams helped me discover the love of reading and how the characters and stories can come to life. After recess each day, she would take the time to read out loud to the class. Even though we were seniors around up elementary school. But as I listened to those stories and heard her voice, I began to realize how reading could be fun and exciting. She truly ignited, she truly ignited my interest in reading. Next is my eighth grade art teacher, Mrs. Jessica Atkins. She's an art teacher up for middle school. She taught me the value of patience. The biggest lesson Mrs. Atkins taught me is to be patient. Continue to push on and learn from all life's adventures. I always learn about this, especially when I feel like a particular goal is taking forever to reach or it's so difficult to stay focused. By pushing on, I always come out stronger and wiser than before. It may be hard, but I learn from it, and I feel great when the goal is finally accomplished. It's important for me to pass this lesson on to and continue to be an example in this area for my brothers. Then there's Mr. Scott Ospelmeyer. Right? He's my AP 
Mr. Austin Meyer taught me the best no matter what. Good teachers quickly recognize what you're capable of. Great teachers hold you to it. Am I right? I have a tendency to rush through assignments and not to do my best on a project. I know I knew I could do better, but I didn't see the point. This wasn't gonna fly with Mr. Austin Meyer. Through the course of his class in high school, he pushed me to do what he knew I was capable of doing. I slowly learned that doing your best is not optional. Always giving your best is what successful people do. Yes, it was frustrating sometimes, but it was a lesson that I had to learn. A final example I have for my learning experience is from SC Fred founder and my journalism one teacher, Ms. Lisa Ellis. Ms. Ellis taught me the acceptance of mistakes. I was always an overachiever in school and I was constantly fearful that I would make, I would make mistakes. The biggest lesson I ever learned from a teacher is that it is okay to make mistakes. At the time, I just earned a 55 on an op-ed paper. Miss Ellis sat me down by her desk and said, don't be so hard on yourself. No one is perfect. We all make mistakes. What is the lessons we learn from our mistakes that make us who we become? As the conversation we were having dialed down, she asked, what did we learn? I learned I need to proofread one more time before I put the paper to bed, I mumbled. <laughs> Great, she said. Now let's begin thinking about what we want to write in next week's op-ed paper. The importance of educating is underestimated in the public arena, am I right? Can you hear me? The importance of educators is underestimated in the public arena. Educators have to figure out how to adjust and handle each circumstance and each child that comes into their classroom. In particular, they help, they help kids to learn and furnish them with life-changing learning experiences, am I right? Our teachers are vital to society and it is time we began treating them like so. The pay raise of teacher is not a Republican or Democratic issue, it is a statewide issue that needs to be attacked. The salary of a teacher has not changed significantly for years. While the difficulties of educating has increased, pay has not. Educators have the right to be compensated fairly for teaching children, like me, daily academic lessons and life lessons as well. Some may state the professional stability, annuity, and social insurance benefits merit the lower pay. What use is future stability on the off chance that you are not earning enough to help your family today? The present educator's compensation is dreary. Can you envision your favorite teacher getting paid less? Think of the kids, or think of your kids or your grandkids. Don't they deserve the best teacher possible? Shouldn't they be able to learn from Mrs. Williams, Mrs. Atkin, Mr. Ospelmeyer, and Miss Ellis, or the thousands of very awesome teachers in the great state of South Carolina? Only when South Carolina decides to fund teachers will the future of South Carolina receive the delight of learning imparted to them by that one unique educator.
Now let's go make some change. Thank you. All right, so Wayne Borders back with the South Carolina New Legacy podcast. I'm here with a teacher from the Lexington School 2 district. And would you like to give your name or just? Maria Bjorn. All right, and her friend? Janelle Vickery. And and you're a teacher as well? I am. Okay. I teach English. In the same school district? Yes. Okay, fantastic. So, So when news started circulating about this event today on May Day, of all days, how appropriate, um, and you, I guess you, you heard Molly Spearman's reaction that she supports teachers, you know, ability to advocate, but didn't think it was appropriate to do so, I guess, what, on a school day? Um, how did that strike you? It made me distrust our leadership because it seemed to um, lower our expectations as if the, things that, the decisions that we make somehow are harmful to, to students. Whereas what we're doing, I truly believe, will help students in the long run. It's just the students we have now and then the students we'll have in the future. It's continuing to undermine what we're trying to do in education, which is, seems to be a consistent problem. Yeah, and I see that your sign is one of the great signs here today. Uh, can you watch my class so I can go to the bathroom? But bathroom is crossed out, and it says State House. So there was an issue with several school districts trying to find subs to come in today, and that's why some some school districts decided to close. But has Lexington 2 still open, and how is their sub situation? Lexington 2 is still open today, and from what we're, we've been told, um, they're handling it. Everybody's got coverage, but a lot of that coverage is probably coming from our fellow teachers who remained at the school. Um, so they're supporting us that way by watching our classes and wearing red at school today. But there's a, there's a sub shortage. There's a teacher shortage. It's a hard job, and a lot of people are not wanting to do it anymore. And then I guess my last question is, I know that uh, they told everybody that you could use personal days or sick days. Do you think that was like, the best idea, or should they have just, you know gone ahead and full supported. I don't know if I can answer that. I used a personal day uh, and I was fine. I was fine using that. I mean, this is something I believed in, so I didn't feel slighted at all using a personal day. And I would agree with that. Definitely. I also used a personal day and that's what they're there for to, you know, take off when we need to, because we're not taking off throughout the year and just hanging out. We're taking off when it matters and when it means something. Well, I appreciate your time, ladies. Thank you so much. Welcome back to the South Carolina New Legacy Podcast. This is Wayne Borders again, and I'm joined by Kurt. So Kurt and I are um, kind of just debriefing a little bit about what we've uh, seen and heard at the uh, SC for Ed rally, um, which is still ongoing. Um, And so it's about 1045. Uh, speeches are ha- have been happening. Uh, there was most notably a speech by a Blythewood High School student. Uh, but you've got supporters from all over the state. Charleston, Beaufort, uh, Winsboro, of course, the Midlands, um, here to support. Incredibly creative signs. I'm, I'm genuinely pleased by when uh, somebody can say something other than, like, fight the power or down with the system or some, some hack trite thing. Uh, my favorite so far was a gentleman holding a, a sign that's uh, in reference to our, our governor's plan to secure the schools by arming the teachers. There's thousands of teachers swarming the Capitol. Now do you want to arm us? 
Yeah, and we have more examples of the signs posted to our Twitter account, uh, SC underscore New Legacy. Uh, teachers and even some of their student supporters and just other moral support uh, have been very creative. Uh, so, Kurt, from your vantage point in the crowd today, um, what what did, what sense did you get from from the rally of how effective it may be? You know, who did you see? Um, what stood out? Well, uh, I, I'm in the I'm in the 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 non I've been mostly around the non-teachers, and there's a lot of scuttlebutt about uh, the internal politics of which we can dive into with someone much more intelligent uh, later. Um, but I've noticed there's there's just a lot of general resentment against the system, which is very well deserved. Um, several House members uh, came down and were uh, waving at the crowds, and a woman behind me just very resentfully said, "Why are you waving at us? You passed that damn bill." Um, and uh, yeah, and and I could I'm not going to name any names, but some I'm almost certain some of the ones she was yelling at did not vote for that bill. Uh, so uh, you know, I'm I'm hope that. Uh, some of that rage will be focused to the right candidates. Uh, my favorite was when uh, everyone started chant, uh, cheering, where's Molly? Where's Molly? <laughs> yeah, so Molly Spearman, the superintendent of education, um, put out a, an op-ed piece, uh, I believe yesterday, April 30th. Uh, the basic premise was, I support you, but stay at the schools and teach our kids. <laughs> yeah, that's that's the the classic uh, admonition. What the uh, the Kantian uh, uh, think freely, but just stand in line and behave. That that is that is their version of of enlightenment, I guess. Yeah, I I felt that when that chant started, that the crowd was it wasn't just you know saying it just to like call her out. There was this actual feeling behind it of you know of come of really like show your face. Uh, I, I think the main point that I want to get across is that, uh, like, I, I'm jaded and uh, and I'm thinking two steps ahead always. Which is not to say I'm doing that well, but <laughs> but I'm thinking about tomorrow. What happens tomorrow? Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking about all the ways that this can go wrong. But I think now is the uh, moment to probably like not do that and reflect that there's a genuine f- feeling of really good group solidarity right now. I mean, I I'm not a teacher and I'm wearing the red and I you know I've had to bump my way through crowds and everybody is just incredibly kind and they'll say oh, we'll count that as a teacher's touch everybody's just like so uh kind of uh happy that it, it, everyone's showing up for each other at one point a uh i saw someone walk by uh in like kind of workman's you know like uh, skill trade type uniform and mm-hmm. he just said to a couple protesters stay organized and i was like hell yeah <laughs> who is this guy and, and which craft union does he belong to yeah. uh and then uh i also i don't know if you, you caught this wayne but at one point uh a big uh work truck of some kind uh, slowly cruised by and honked the horn in clearly like a, a supportive cadence and uh, the whole crowd kind of like lit up uh, and, and started shouting this was right before the speeches commenced so the energy is uh, is quite high and good uh, very positive energy yeah and and I just want to refer back real quick to the bill that you mentioned uh, the bill that you're talking about is the I guess legislator drafted bill to raise teacher pay by about what four percent and i guess address some other issues but 
teachers were consistently saying we haven't had as much input and there's apparently a lot of uh, we'll, we'll, a lot of uh, fine print attached that I'm not qualified to talk about, but I've heard the scuttlebutt is that there's a lot of bad stuff in the fine print attached to that. So um, potentially freezes on future uh, future raises. That uh, everyone deserves raises. The, the cost of living goes up. Your p- p- pay should go up too. <laughs> the legislature votes for their own raises. I mean, yeah, that's the least they can do to continue to support other public workers. Uh, so really appreciate, uh, your thoughts and we'll continue to follow up on the SE for Ed campaign, uh, continue following the South Carolina new legacy project, uh, on all of our, uh, outlets, uh, Twitter at SC underscore new legacy, Facebook. Yeah. Facebook, Twitter. And I just want to make one more point, And that is something that, uh, one of the things to think about for tomorrow is that this was completely, uh, I don't want to say this is use the word wildcat because this isn't quite a strike, but I do want to say that this is something that happened outside of any of the channels that you would normally go through for this. Um, the entire labor and, uh, and SCEA sort of administration was sort of they, they, they went around them, and I think there's some positives and some negatives to that, and uh, I think that's something we should discuss in detail further, uh, maybe with uh, some people, some teachers, and uh, members of those organizations. All right. All right. Well, thank you very much, Kurt. Thank you.